This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. podcast in which we choose one overrated movie and one underrated movie similar in tone genre style or however we may see fit i'm ryan oliver i'm eric mcclanahan this is oktai ege kozak uh so uh contrary to the title we will not be choosing one just simply one overrated and one underrated movie on this episode for it is our year-end extravaganza um and i don't know about you guys but this was actually kind of a hard list to put together um for both strangely enough yeah but um yeah there's just been like a really like good glut of titles and a lot of titles that people have loved this year uh that we just didn't quite feel it and a lot of stuff that we felt flew under the radar so um so as usual we're gonna be choosing we each have five overrated movies for you. We each have five underrated movies with, I believe, very little overlap. So uh, we're going to be surprising. Talk- yeah, very surprising. Yeah. That there's- for us, anyway. <laughs> I think, yeah, because usually the three of us line up pretty well. Um, I think there's like one movie, but we'll definitely get into that. Um, but we have a lot of content to uh, dive into. So, <laughs> like, why don't we just uh, dive into it? We're going to start with the overrateds, as we always do. And I'm going to mm-hmm. pass the ball to you, Eric. What is your number five overrated movie of 2017? Uh, my number five, I'm going to just get, you know, get the ball rolling. And I think I think this might anger both of you. I, I know one of you really likes this movie. Um, but my number five overrated movie is uh, Beach Rats. Uh, it was uh, one of the movies put out by uh, a new distributor this year. I think 2017 was their first year for Neon. Uh, they used to be Draft House Films. They've become Neon. And they had a really good year. They put out, like, several other really cool movies uh, one of which was I, Tanya that's coming out soon. I, I highly recommend. But uh, Beach Rats is one of those movies. It was a summer movie. Uh, it played at the cinema that I work at. And um, it had that sort of indie Sundance buzz that you tend to hear about certain movies like uh, uh, on this budget level or whatever. But it was it was touted as being a really uh, strong uh, effort in terms of like queer cinema. You know, I heard those things talked about it. And uh, the lead performance, I think this new actor named Harris Dickinson. This movie had a lot of hype. Relative hype, I guess, is my argument, but um, hype that I would say I've I got from being a part of the playlist, you know, uh, our sort of mothership for for this podcast. I feel like everybody at the site loved this movie. Um, I don't really. It's one of these cases for me where um, I don't think it's a bad movie. I uh, I don't really get what the big deal was. I felt like I'd seen this kind of movie a, a dozen times over, um, and it had a it had a real vision to it. I like the the filmmaker. Uh, does, do you guys know her name? Uh, it's a it's a She's done a few films too. Gosh, I'm sorry. Let me, man. Let me look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Keep going. Look, I'll yeah, we'll look it up. Awesome. Yeah. Um. But the 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 filmmaker, uh, who it's not her first film, you know. But this is uh, you know, she has vision and she has a way of making, uh, working with the small budget she had to like bring the movie to life in a way. And I think I understand where, um, that's what a lot of like our fellow critics or just you know some moviegoers that went and saw it 
what they got out of the movie. They, they I, again, I'm not calling it a bad movie, but as soon as I ended seeing it, I, I remember thinking like, huh, what was what's what was the big deal? So, so it's kind of, Eliza Hitman. Eliza Hitman, thank you, thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah. So I think this filmmaker is. I'm gonna play this card. I think she's clearly talented. Um, I want to see more from her, without a doubt. But um, I, I, I don't think this is anything other than like a kind of forgettable indie drama, to be honest. I think that's fair. Uh, I, oh, go ahead, Octay. Sorry. Um, oh, my, mine is going to be super quick. I, uh, I got the neon package uh, of screeners uh, a couple of weeks ago, and this was included in that. And uh, the way I looked at it, I, you know, this was. It was hard for me to like squeeze in a lot of these movies to to see everything that was on you. So on many movies, list. man. Yeah, so yeah. That's since we have like little uh, overlap this time around too. But just um, in general too, right? Just yeah, there's yeah, so many so, good movies. Yeah, oh. yeah. So uh, since this was like your number five, and this was an overrated, and this looked like the kind of movie that you would be into. So I'm like, what's a movie like this that Eric's not really into? Going to be like, you know, even more like just. I don't know. I, I I just didn't have much interest in it, but I have the screener, so I popped it in. And yeah, I could only make it about like 25 minutes in, and and mm -hmm. until realizing that like just you know it's just like you it's it's the same kind of stuff that we've seen hundreds of times before from indie filmmakers. I mean, she definitely has a um, she obviously has like a gift for capturing like fairly natural performances and um mm -hmm. but just it just felt to me like a kind of like a kid's knockoff uh with more like an lgbt slang i guess um but yeah, but yeah i mean i only made it through like the first 25 30 minutes so take it with a huge grain of salt because like i my um review wouldn't count uh that's funny <laughs> you mentioned kids because i actually when i just wrote like a brief uh paragraph on my letterbox page I'm, i mentioned it being like almost sort of a remix between like an early Gus Van Zandt movie and a Harmony Korine movie. So it's kind, yeah, of, kind of a good, good call. Point. And, and I do agree. It's not necessarily things that we haven't seen before. And, mm -hmm. and I can give you that, like maybe a little bit overhyped, like certainly not a movie that would have ended up on my top 10. And it, and it did appear on, on quite a lot of top tens among our peers. Um, mm -hmm. But I think overall, I did like the movie a little bit more than uh, you did strictly, I think because of the vision. Uh, yeah. like it's a gorgeous movie and the score is incredible for the movie too. Mm -hmm. Like I was score like, is my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. And it just, I, I kind of got, I, I got lost in it while recognizing that's like, yeah, we've seen this movie a bunch of times before, but um, it's, I don't know. It's still done in a way that uh, captivated me enough. So um, the, the, how it's made, not what it's about kind of idea. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And sometimes that's hard to separate. Cause I'm sitting here going like, this is incredibly well made. And that kind of, is what gets my juices flowing when I watch a movie. Um, but, but yeah. yeah, but I was also like, I have seen this a million times before. So. Yeah. I'm and it's all that, it's that really um, almost subtle, subtle line, right. Where like, I've said that about movies before. I'm like, yeah, but the style and the way it was made, that was enough for me. Uh, I would say one of my favorite movies this year, killing of a sacred deer is kind of a, the That's peak a good point. example of that, where it's not what it's about, although it's very interesting what it's about. It's more how it's about it, where it's like, fuck, this movie is just incredible, where I got lost in it. So I, I totally, it's that relative thing, man. So you, it's like, uh, of course, there's nothing to be taken away from that. Like, I get why people dug the movie. I just, um, it left me wanting. So it's just one of those movies. Totally. I can mm -hmm. understand that. Uh, Octay, you're number five. Uh, my number five is uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand. What the fuck were you thinking? Casting Dane DeHaan as a uh, cool, charismatic uh, space opera hero. 
Um, yeah, this this movie. I mean, it's not like it's it's a weird choice for overrated. I get it because it tanked in the states at least. Uh, you know, so box office wise, it wasn't like hit or anything. But I had so many critic friends who just like sung sang this movie's praises. They were like, you have to go see it on the biggest screen imaginable. It's amazing. And uh, on a visual sense, I can understand where they're coming from, even though I'm part of the minority that's not super, super impressed by the film's visuals. It just looks to me like um, an exceptionally well-looking video game, which that's a cliche. But at this time, with the new um, generation of consoles, like video game graphics, have, or they look like that now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just it looked fine the first five minutes or so we're just like is this is like this is gonna be like a cool fun space opera and then the characters started speaking um and <laughs> then the, 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 the screenplay began and it is you know there, there are two major major problems three one it's way too long two yeah. uh for for this kind of like just cheesy trashy like uh really old-fashioned like space opera uh two the casting is abysmal like it's just the <laughs> The uh, like, who thought Dane DeHaan? The yeah, let's get the creepy kid from uh, fucking every movie he's ever been in, basically. And, <laughs> and always, and, yeah, and turn turn him into this like swashbuckling Han Solo type. Yeah, he's so charismatic. <laughs> and then uh, Cara Delevingne. I mean, she's just like, I mean, she's supposed to be like kind of like a uh, peppy, energetic, like uh, sidekick kind of thing, and she was just super boring and dull. Um, Even Clive Owen, who I love, was just yeah, Clive all wrong. Owen was just like dull, and it was weird. And it's like, and then the, the the final thing is just like it's 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 insanely predictable. Like the way that the the screenplay is just like beat by beat of like. Uh, the first, very first Star Wars era, like, you know, that like after the very first Star Wars came out, came out, there were all these like cheapo knockoffs that followed the exact same uh, stories, the exact same beats without any kind of self-awareness. And it felt like one of those in fucking 2017. So it was a, um, it was a flop, but a lot of critics liked it. And a lot of like, and because of that, I, Gave it a shot to check it out, and and this is this is like as a as a big fan of this kind of like huge budget uh, exuberant um, space opera. Like like I'm a defender of, for example, like a John Carter. Um, this was kind of a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> what do you, what do you guys what do you guys say? Dude, John Carter is a masterpiece compared to this movie. Holy <laughs> shit! First of all, fuck you for making me watch this. Uh, <laughs> This movie is awful. Uh, It's okay. No, for real, though. It's it's terrible. The first 10 minutes are quite good. I have to give it credit. I love the opening space oddity, use of space oddity, and all these, like, colonies coming together. I thought that was a really, like, evocative image and a good use of that song. I loved, like, the stuff going on on that one, like, long-necked alien planet that was, like, mostly silent Mm. except for the language. And I was like, oh, my God, why was this movie so misunderstood? And... You pretty much nailed the hit, nailed it. Uh, the script, the script happens. Like the script starts, and then you're like, "Oh my god, this is why this movie is awful." Um, and I think the effects are good, but they're like everything's so cluttered. Like I was getting Attack of the Clone vibes, like that scene mm-hmm. in like Coruscant mm-hmm. where they like are chasing the assassin through this. Like I got that feel from a lot of the scenes. It's not and like it's just, watching a prequel Star Wars movie. Yeah, it just it's a screen is just stuffed with every single thing they could have thrown. And like 
again, from the making standpoint, like whoever rendered the special effects, whoever did that did a good job, but it's in service of like just horrible looking like framing and crowding and uh yeah i, I don't have much to say other than i thought this movie was god awful and luke Besson yeah. is dead and luke Besson is dead to me he already was but he's like <laughs> more so just just completely dead to me eric yeah, have you man. seen this i have seen it i went and saw it in the theater um it was just at the the cheap sort of second run theaters when i got around to it because i did get that same insistence from colleagues and and a few yeah. friends octay as you and i i was like all right I'll, what the hell i'll give it a shot and um Man, Ryan, you, you took my main point. I agree wholehearted. Opening 10 minutes, use of space oddities, somehow finding a fun new use of that. Yes. Was, um, I was like, whoa, fuck. This, okay, I get it. What I get what people are excited about. Um, yep, then, of course, script, uh, actors happen. But really, there's... I don't. I don't think either of you brought it up. I'm sure you agree. The anti-chemistry that Dane DeHaan and the um. I'm sorry. What's yeah, the man, that's, that's part of the Cara Cara Delevingne. Delevingne. That's part of the casting yeah. criticism because they they are they have no, yeah. dead. They have no, exactly right. And um, like this yeah, zero it, chemistry. And um, I'm with you guys. I I uh I actually think a big part. It it looked like a stinker when the previews came out, but I think a big part why movies like this are starting to bomb like. I would include like Alice in Wonderland 2 in this where I think most audiences don't think this looks appealing on a movie anymore. This kind of aesthetic where it is what you guys said, overloaded and very prequel Star Wars reminiscent. Like, fuck, most of us still revile those movies because of partly because of the aesthetic. So, yeah, I don't I don't get the insistence on trying to make movies in this way, but I think there there's like an energy and quasi ambition to it. But um, yeah, what the hell, this movie, man! Like it's yeah. it's pretty, it's very garbage for sure for me. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Absolutely. So Ryan, what's your number five? Uh, my number five is oh. Atomic Blonde, um, and I was really frustrated through pretty much all of this movie. And there's no worse feeling than going to a movie wanting to be excited for it. Um, and then just find yourself completely out of the experience. Um, so this movie, it played at South by Southwest. It got a lot of buzz. It's directed by David Lettich, who was one half of the John Wick duo. So it had a lot of buzz. Charlize Theron, obviously coming off of Mad Max Fury Road, awesome action heroine. So had a lot of things going for it. Um, this movie has one amazing sequence, one amazing single take fight sequence, and everything else about the movie is, like, the dumbest John le Carre adaptation in the world. Like, every single Ugh. thing. It's so it's so cartoonish. It's tonally wrong all over the place. It's, like, part comic book, and I think it's based on a manga. I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. Uh, and then part, like, wants it's to a, be... It's a graphic novel, but I don't know if it's, like, a oh, manga it's a gra- or... Okay, so it is, but it is, whatever. like, based on something of that ilk. And it's very stylish like that. But it also wants to be this hard-edged like crime uh mystery movie and i'm not one of these people who tries to uh guess the plot of a movie um that's not my thing i like to be involved in the experience of the movie but because i felt myself outside of it i called it within the first like 15 minutes of the movie (laughs) and like i was like first of all don't use the same plot structure as a movie that's very famous for having a big twist that's your biggest mistake um and I just found like like Charlize is compelling. She holds the screen, but at the same time, it's like her accents all over the place. James McAvoy's over the top. Nothing really works in this movie. And the song choices, my God, 
are the absolute <laughs> like it's like it's like Suicide Squad bad like it's oh like they're like the yeah most, yeah the, like, they're so on the nose the, the songs oh. in and of themselves are not bad songs it's just where they choose to insert them in the movie are terrible <laughs> it's like oh we're it's like it's like Robert Zemeckis song choices look subtle in yeah the like like they're like they're uh, <laughs> there's like a German either they're like torturing a German soldier or like germans are torturing somebody else it's like what song can we choose here 99 left balloons all right we'll do it like oh god it's yeah uh, yeah there's again the come for the single take fight scene stay for literally nothing else because there's nothing there is nothing else. (laughs) eric did you see this so no uh the only thing i can add because I, i i haven't seen it is I literally just removed it from my Google Play rental wish list because of everything Ryan just said. It's just I'm it's... sold on your take, Mr. Oliver. Thank you. You saved me five bucks. You're welcome. Well, I'm, it's, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, yeah. it's just an obnoxious, like self-satisfied movie, drunk off its yep. own style. Uh, and it's like again, there's some good style in it, but it's just it's just really grating. And I and I get I get why people like latch to it i know like i have complaints about the movie and someone's like well if it was a male lead like these dumb things have happened in those movies and i was like yeah i've also called them dumb in those movies too like yeah. it doesn't matter yeah, it who's doesn't starring make it in it better or worse <laughs> exactly good uh, answer. yeah it's good I'm, answer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit um i'm a little bit kinder on this movie i agree with everything ryan said pretty much um uh, simply because of charlie's theron's presence i love seeing her in a film um where they take that like recent trope of you know even though she's not middle aged or anything she's in her forties but that recent trope of like slightly older charismatic actors and putting make turn them into um, like uh, action stars in these Eurocentric films like the Liam Neeson and all that and um, I love that idea and she really brings it I mean there are some like fight choreographies in here and they do some really clever stuff where there's just one fight scene where her face is covered and you're meant to think that it's like a single shot fight scene. You're meant to think that, Oh, it's a stunt woman or whatever. And at the very end of the shot, she pulls the, you know, the thing down and it turns out to be her. And it's just, there, there was like these like little playful little things. And that one single take fight scene was, was pretty spectacular. But yeah, apart from that, it's like, I don't know why they thought, uh, okay, the people who made John wick, like, you expect them to make this super convoluted, complex, Cold War, John Le Carré thriller? Like, why would they do that? It's, it makes absolutely no sense. If uh, the whole thing is about the fight choreography and all that John Wick stuff, just make the script as straightforward as uh, John Wick, as simple as it is. Just have come up with, like, it doesn't have to be a dog or whatever, but come up with, like, some kind of MacGuffin that everybody's after and they just like everybody just kills each other on the way to doing that just but this movie is just like piled one predictable useless twist after the other and it's just the script was a mess and yeah the song choices i have to agree with and uh yeah it's it's one that like if that single take fight scene drops on youtube or something check that out because that's that's pretty cool but apart from that yeah yep agreed that's the other thing I just did. I bookmarked that scene on YouTube. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it's great. Like, it, it, you really, like, it, I've never seen a fight scene quite like it. Like, that I do at least, cool. like, I, I don't want to sound like everything else is dismissive, and I do mean to sound dismissive, yeah. but, like, the way that they get, like, dazed and, like, just beat up, I'm like, that's so cool, and nothing else is structured well uh, yeah. in front of it. But, yeah, check the scene out. So, but let's move to you. Back to you, Eric. You're number four. All right. My number four, I think we could probably skip 
I'll, I'll say the title, but we could skip probably because it's going to come up uh, very oh, yeah. later in the conversation. I think we'll all have things to say, but my number four overrated movie is uh, M. Night Shyamalan's massive hit that has totally made Hollywood fall in love with him again, uh, Split. So Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to this in detail. So There's a um, lot to say. There's a lot to say, I think, you know, and uh, yeah. we'll, I guess we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wait for it at that point. So that's my number I'll, four. I'll, I'll have a lot to say for sure, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> so uh, my number four is uh, Alien Covenant, which, uh, again, like Valerian, it wasn't, I don't know if it was a huge hit. I, I know that, like, really, it was no. not really. It wasn't a huge hit. Critically, it wasn't, didn't get great reviews, but the fact that it got like a pretty decent amount of like good reviews and some people like gave it quite a pass is kind of shocking to me because this movie was um it was almost like Ridley Scott's version of a cheapo Ridley Scott alien knockoff that goes straight to VHS in the 80s <laughs> like it was just like we we're going to make alien as a as a shitty slasher film and then like uh and then there was like this tonal complete tonal discrepancy between like Ridley Scott still trying to like ape the uh the structure of 2001 where it's just like all about like the creation of the humankind or the evolution and all that stuff so he has the Michael Fassbender David characters like going to all these like um philosophical material but then that's intercut with like um Aliens turning into Jason from Friday the Thirteenth and <laughs> killing characters in a fucking shower scene. Like it's, it so looks bad. cheap. It looks cheap. It looks super digital. It looks, uh, fucking Danny McBride in a cowboy hat. I mean, I, I, there are like so many ways that I can say like how much I hated this movie, and it was just like bizarre. Like, why did he want to make it? Why did he shut down Neil Blomkamp's Alien? For this, it's uh, and it was supposed to be like a return to form. And as many issues as I have with Prometheus, I'll take Prometheus like in a yeah here here over this. Uh, so, so yeah, what do you guys have? You have you guys seen this? And what do you think? <laughs> yes, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead Eric. I'll, oh sure, sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, I very much, I very much agree. This movie is like so, shockingly. I I was not a fan of Prometheus, but this movie is like severely much worse because. It's the at least Prometheus stuck to its guns and had an idea of a vision of where to take the series somewhere. I, I didn't find it successful, but also Prometheus was gorgeously made. This movie felt rushed, poorly shot, essentially. And also uh, it's the boring middle ground between an actual good alien movie, like a monster in space movie, and this fucking jerk off philosophy philosophy bullshit like um that really scott has become obsessed with and then he also found a way to shoehorn the fact that he didn't get to make blade runner sequel he wanted to make this a blade runner movie oddly um this movie is just like such a mess in my mind and in my memory and it, it did kind of like it didn't make me angry but i was just like so disappointed and just reminded again why i i just like I don't really like Ridley Scott movies anymore. I realized that a while ago, but this is yeah, a, just an, this is another nail in that coffin. And um, just, I guess, final point is to Octay's, uh, what, what you were getting at of critics, uh, some critics really going for it. One of my most respected favorite critics to read, Matt Zeller Seitz, gave this a glowing four-star review. And he's, he, and a, yes, read his review on rogerebert.com. And um, I'm not knocking that. It's his opinion. I just, I think it's interesting because him and a lot of other critics that I kind of like really admire that I find like kind of um, almost uh, intimidatingly smart 
really went for this movie and saw it as this like dark comedy where that's why everybody's dumb. It, it's the, it's the key to unlock why this movie essentially you can, it's a pass for everything. Oh, it's a dark comedy. Everybody's dumb because it's really Scott's making fun of humanity. Okay. Yeah. It's a cynical movie, but, um, so you, you, I, do you I don't think, think Ridley Scott might be doing the Tommy Wiseau thing and just like all of a sudden be like, <laughs> I meant it as a dark comedy. He, uh, I don't know because it's not – I mean from what I – It's not Ridley really Scott it, saying it. No, I, I, it's I understand that. Right, right. But um, also I wish this movie fucking was made by Tommy Wiseau. It would have been a lot more interesting. The biggest issue is this movie is dull and it looks like it was made by a hack filmmaker, not the guy that made Alien one of the all-time great movies. So – yeah, it's 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 a shame that he's preventing whatever Blumkamp wants to do because I would love to see that movie, frankly. Same, so. same here. It's I I want to appreciate this movie's nihilism so much because it is a very much <laughs> a fuck humanity movie, and the uh-huh. fact that it's made on that scale is like kind of impressive, and I almost want to admire it. But like, you can do a movie nihilistically and have it be a dark comedy and actually have some compelling, interesting characters. But the fact that they were dropped off the i think octa said it like the friday the 13th assembly line like this movie is his like it's a less interesting movie than the movie i'm about to mention but it reminded me of hannibal ridley scott's hannibal like the movie where like the movie gets so like grisly grow like over the top grotesque in its gore um which is like like eric you you nailed it too where it's just like it's not particularly well shot gore like it is grisly and it's a little startling but at the same time Mm -hmm. it's like it looks terrible um and, and but like it crossed with like these other ideas and it just yeah i i don't really have much to add than you guys other there than... are shots where it looks like it's 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 its own asylum knockoff like there are some yeah. horrible yeah. green screenshots in this it's movie. bad i tried i will give it. one compliment and say the score i don't remember who did it sorry i cut you off too ryan but the score i think w- was memorable the original bits of score um there was sort of this thumping like rhythm uh like a heartbeat rhythm used in the freakier parts of the movie i i remember liking that i guess that's the only thing i can recall <laughs> liking uh, real quick i was just gonna say as i tried watching it again on a plane on a work trip and uh just because i felt like between like like matt solar sites and priscilla page and there were like another handful of good critics david ehrlich who were like really <laughs> big fans of this movie and so i was just like ah maybe i'm missing something or maybe it's like the counselor where it's like i will maybe not like it but like find more to appreciate the second time around and i found it to be even dumber like like that's <laughs> and so it was just it was the reverse effect and nice you know, just... so ryan what's your number four uh my number four is uh spider-man homecoming and uh i was kind of shocked how much people went for this movie um when i left the press screening because to me it is it is the opposite side of the coin as the amazing spider-man 2 and i know that's immediately so if someone's listening they might even just turn the podcast off right now the fact that i said that <laughs> but hear me out like the amazing spider-man 2 this movie feels like a collection of studio notes and a collection of ideas that don't really have a good through line they don't really have a good um script they don't really have a good like they just kind of feel like a hodgepodge of things on the opposite side at least most of the ideas and concepts in this movie are good, uh, are good ones where the amazing Spider-Man two, every worst decision that could have been made at any given time was made. So this movie has good ideas. Like I love the cast. The cast in this movie is incredible. Tom Holland is a good Peter Parker and Tony Ravioli is in this movie as 
Flash Thompson, which is a cool re-envisioning of that character. Uh, the Vulture, Michael Keaton plays him, and like the, he's this like blue-collar worker, and there's a lot of like class structure things going on there. And I found all that interesting, but none of it really coheres as a full movie for me. Um, also, I just found the humor in this movie, some of it genuinely funny, a lot of it really forced. And also, I know the Marvel movies have had a track record of not looking the best. This is the absolute worst-looking Marvel movie. Like, I can't believe this movie cost as much as it did. It looks terrible, Um, which is, again, a shame. It's uh, it's got a lot of good ideas, and it's got a great cast. It just really didn't work for me. It has six screenwriters, and I felt that. Like, it just felt (laughs) like everything was fighting. Everything was fighting for space, and there wasn't enough space and time to give it give it all of the things so i i get again i i was so surprised because i i had pegged this movie because in in july it was like this then war for the planet of the apes and dunkirk all came out like a week apart from each other and i had predicted the one that would probably get hurt the most was this movie based on what i saw based on like kind of the weak marketing and based on just spider-man fatigue I would have never thought that War for the Planet of the Apes would have been the casualty in that sandwich, but it seemed to have been the case. So, um, Eric, Eric, have you seen it? I have not, and this one was never on my Google Play wish list, so uh, <laughs> not a problem. Thanks for the confirmation, Ryan. You're welcome. I uh, I, I like it. I uh, There are some stuff about it that I like a lot. Like you said, the, the casting. I love the idea of the Vulture as like the working class version of... Um, like Green Goblin or something, or the the entire dynamic is like the working class version of the same dynamic between, let's say, you know, Iron Man and uh, Warmonger or something like that. Sure. Uh, I, I like that uh, approach. I like the uh, kind of uh, the superhero version of a John Hughes movie approach, even though like it's way too over the nose with some of the references. Um, <laughs> yes. You see, you fucking see like a clip from uh ferris bueller's day off while they're ripping off the same scene like that bugs me to no end uh but um but yeah i mean i i love the chemistry between the characters the the cast um the way it looks yeah i think they were look going for that kind of like more evenly lit john hughes comedy look which is fine for the uh like the high school scenes that's that are supposed to ape that style but when that's applied to the big giant action set pieces and everything is just like so clear and digital. Like, I think that was a little bit um, of a bad choice. Uh, the central uh, set piece, the action set piece at the Washington Monument, I thought was really cool. Um, there's a lot of, I, I love the the sidekick character, um, Peter Parker's sidekick character. And uh, yeah, it's just like the, the cast and the overall feel of it. I really dug, but yeah, I, I understand your, um, your calls with it, Ryan, for sure. Totally. Well, I think we're, we're in agreement. Like anything that works in this movie cast all comes down to yeah. casting. Yeah. Casting is great. I, I'm, I'm thinking that probably in the second movie, a lot of these like rough edges will be sorted out. Well, That's we'll what see I'm if I, if I actually do see it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Eric, what's your uh, number three? All right. My number three is another horror movie. Uh, and one of the, I guess shockingly biggest movies of the year. Um, and it was, uh, is it the, the Stephen King adaptation? Um, uh, for me, this is kind of, uh, this was like a simple overrated pick. This was going to be my number one pretty much all year. I was like, as soon as I saw it with the hype that was already around, uh, the movie, um, not just because of the massive box office it's done, but like it was pretty overall critically acclaimed and audiences really seemed to love it. 
Um, but for me, I saw it and I, I, I got bored by this movie about 30 to 40 minutes in because it has a particular rhythm. Um, it's impressive in the way that they, the things they cut out from the massive book, you know, they like realized that they had to truly adapt this, this part one. And um, I think it's impressive. A lot of the things that they cut out of this movie, but also baffling so much that they kept in because it's this weird, uh, not structureless, but it's a movie of sequences. And once you get into the rhythm of the movie, which I felt like I sunk into in the first 20 minutes, um, once it gets going, it's just attack, another kid introduced, attack, another kid introduced. And then that became sort of um, not just repetitious, and that's where it got boring, but also it's so obnoxiously loud, this movie. Like, honestly, I think Dunkirk is on, lower on the mix than fucking It, which is impressive <laughs> to say. Um, or maybe it's just the theater I saw it at, which, hey, okay, good on him for turning the movie up, I guess. But it was a little bit just too much of everything of what it was which in the end just kind of drowned out what's good about it. For one, this movie has like, this is hyperbole, but I don't know how else to contextualize it. It has like a Saving Private Ryan level opening for a horror movie. The, this movie's best moment is the first scene of the movie. Yep. It's, very, it's very well done. And the actor that they got to play Pennywise the Clown is fantastic. Um, but he gets drowned out by a bunch of, I will admit, pretty good CGI, but there's he becomes less of a factor and then it's just a sort of um, fun house that you're nightmarishly walking into. Um, and like, you know, I feel it, like it I'm... literally turns into a, like a Halloween haunted house attraction <laughs> right. at some right. point. And af after a while it just becomes, um, I felt like there was nothing at stake because no none of these kids died. I, I, I hate to like put it this way, but like I felt like there was nothing at stake. This clown mm -hmm. would keep coming at him and I get that, the whole idea is the building up of fear, but I feel like the movie was so repetitious that I was like, "These nothing's going to happen to these kids." Yeah, it's scary. And it, it constantly breaks its the, the rules that it right. sets up too. In some cases, like, okay, how much of a like it's like that Monsters Inc. fear quota thing yeah. that yes, builds yeah. up the batteries. Like, how it much do you need before you, you start eating them? Because at right. the beginning of the movie, the little kid he like. Off. The kid like gets scared for like two seconds, and then he's like, "Okay, this is my chance to eat him." <laughs> and then later on, it's like he spends twenty minutes scaring the shit out of one kid, and he's still not making his attack. And yeah, if you, if you go down that line, it's it's uh it's it's a really easy film to uh kind of break the plot uh, holes, and that's it's kind of the same thing with the book, to be honest with you. But yeah, like I like the uh, and I, I I really like the uh, the dynamic between the cast. Uh, the kids are great. The um, I like the writing of the kids, the way they curse and all that stuff. Like it just it just felt like like I would I would I would love to see that movie like Stand by Me style like movie about these like outcast kids making friends uh, and then it just it, the, and then the rest of it it kind of gets invaded by this like mediocre horror movie. <laughs> with so, a, budget, uh, with uh, a good budget with, behind it, with a good see. budget uh yeah i mean and i really like the uh the guy who does pennywise i think he managed to kind of set himself really apart from tim curry's performance right. um but yeah this movie got i don't i don't know what was the big like um like reaction to this movie i don't i don't get it it's not terrible by any means i i really enjoyed a lot of parts of it but yeah it's it's the it's the 
definition of like overrated. It's just like it's why why was this such a big deal? Uh, Ryan, I did you, uh, yeah. did you see it? Oh yeah, I saw it and I I enjoyed it. Um, I definitely think it's a bit overhyped in terms of it. It is like you know they set and and I've been I've been bemoaning this for a very 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 long time. But it's that '80s nostalgia thing, man. It's the Stranger yeah. Things. It's the like you know they set they moved this movie to the '80s from the '50s of the book so and, that... and 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 the dialogue and the references were just so annoying like every two minutes it's like i'm gonna burn your hair just like it happened to michael jackson two weeks ago because we're in <laughs> right. the 80s and, and we're, we're in a world and, yeah. we're in a world where all the movies that everyone sees at any time are warner brothers movies because warner brothers <laughs> made this movie um no, I but I like the the cast of kids is great. Like I I can't I can't belabor mm-hmm. that point enough because it's so hard to get good kid actors, and that's going to become evident in a movie that I'm going to discuss later. Uh, it's <laughs> so difficult, and like they really pulled it off. And also, like I know people have fond memories of that miniseries, but it's bad, you guys. It's terrible. Like, it's really it's terrible. really terrible. And this yeah, movie is an improvement. The, sec- the second that. half, especially, so that's why. It- the second half of that story is worse than the kids' oh, story. Oh, big so time, big time. So I, Hopefully they're going to like really mess around with that a little bit to make it work. I think for me the biggest thing to – like not just the 80s nostalgia. And like I, I, I agree with the repetition of the movie. Uh, also, I am stoked as a massive horror movie fan, as we all are, that this movie was the behemoth hit that it was. Like, yep. like it's good yeah, for say, movies. Yeah, say whatever you want about it. Like so stoked that the movie did such big business. But I feel like with – uh, Warner Brothers and these horror movies, like these low-budget horror movies they're putting out, especially like the Conjuring slash Annabelle franchise, like this movie, while also visually well done, it feels so locked into that visual style that James Wan like mm-hmm. brought to the Conjuring that it almost feels like mm-hmm. a marvelization of these horror movies, that they all have like a similar look and feel and the jump scares and like when this thing is going to pop out and go boo and when this thing's going to happen. And so it does become, well... <laughs> While it was an improvement because this movie, this IP, I guess, didn't really have a lot to – it didn't have a high bar to cross basically because Mm -hmm. of the miniseries. But it did feel like both – it was both a solid movie that I really enjoyed as a crowd-pleasing movie and also a bit frustrating because you could see where – Somebody could have made it really, really strange, uh, and it just feels like they had a template uh, for these horror movies that uh, it needs to follow. And maybe yeah, that's Terry Fukunaga oh, was yeah. supposed to make a two part. Well, that would have yeah. been yeah, that, that would have been awesome. That could have been interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, do you want to ask me what my number three is? I'll ask you. What's your number three, Octa? It's your favorite movie of the year, Kong Skull Island. <laughs> it's also my number three. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's let's get into this. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I understand uh, the after the criticisms uh, after the 2014 Godzilla, people saying there wasn't enough Godzilla in it, and and then uh, they got and the studio got that known. They were just like, we are going to plaster the next like their our version, our new King Kong with just monsters and CGI and a bunch of stupid cheesy shit. <laughs> and um, yeah, then that's that's kind of what you get. This movie was. Um, as much as I appreciate, like you seeing King Kong in full within the first uh, like three minutes of the movie, and the rest of the movie is just like it's it's almost like they took that note a little bit too close to heart. Like uh, before the helicopters even land on the island, the Kong attacks, and then all these like creatures attack, and it's just like it's like it's like the 
equivalent of a uh, a porn movie, but like a monster porn movie or something. It's like dull characters, um, except for perhaps John C. Riley, and even then, like he gets way too much praise in this movie. His character, his character is just like the typical like. I was living on this island alone. Now I'm kooky. Like a lot of monster movies have that character. Um, but yeah, in, insanely dull characters. Um, I defy any of you to explain to me, uh, you know, the the characteristics of like uh, Brie Larson and uh, <laughs> she holds the a other camera. Thing. That's her character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and uh, this was just like 20 minutes of boring, shitty dialogue. And then monster attack, and then twenty minutes of boring, shitty dialogue, and it was just like it was super dull and predictable and and stupid, and I just did not get why. Um, a lot of critics liked it, and I think it was a pretty big hit, wasn't it? I think it was. It, it yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did, so, it did okay so, anyway. It, I think yeah. worldwide pushed it into the into the black. Um, yeah, dull, stupid characters, and too fucking many of them. Holy shit, <laughs> there are too many people in this movie, and none of and none of them have any time, like no time to breathe, no time for development. It's just like Tom Hiddleston, you're action man. Brie Larson, you're photography person. Sam Jackson, you're yeah. the heart of darkness. I, I'm out to get revenge person, and like, and then it was just like that was it, and it it breaks my heart because like. I really liked Jordan Vogue Roberts' last movie, The Kings of Summer. Like, I really, yes. really liked that movie a lot. I like that he's, like, been very, like, vocal and sort of a prominent figure for, like, uh, you know, speaking in among, like, film film goers, filmmakers, film criticism. You know, he's been very vocal about HBO botching the uh, different aspect ratios on their movies, which is a whole other story we won't get into. But he's been, like... <laughs> uh, very adamant about that. He took uh, Cinema Sins to task, rightfully so. Um, but man, this movie is just like, it's just, it's completely atonal. There's too many characters. Um, also, f- ties Atomic Blonde in like the worst song choice at any given moment yes. of time. The and most also, obvious. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like there was, a, I think, I want to say it was Keith Phipps. I, I saw something yeah. from him that said, like, he's like, I was really proud of this movie for about half of it, where I didn't hear any Credence Clearwater, and then boom, twice in a row, there were two CCR <laughs> if, songs. I, if I have to hear another fucking Fortunate Son while Jesus the Christ. army helicopters uh, are, like, it's just, oh my god, is, is there, like, a template in Final Cut or something that just, like, <laughs> puts that scene together when you, like, dump all the footage in there? I guess It already so. has, like, Fortunate Son ready to, like, Q. Yeah, they just did the new Adobe update. It's in the 2008 yeah. uh, version of Premiere. Uh, no, it's it's just yeah, it's too bad. Helicopters. You just press the button, and it's just like it automatically puts Fortunate Son on there. Also, I don't think the action is. And granted, like I had like as much as I liked Jordan Vogue Roberts' last movie, and I like him, and I wanted to like this movie. It did have an uphill battle because giant monsters fighting is not really my forte anyway. But like, man, even the fights are boring, and the like. They don't look good, except for one scene with, like, the green smoke I thought was, like, as silly as it was. It was like, okay, that actually looks really cool. Um, I I was fortunate, though. Um, So I saw the movie in 70mm film, actually. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah, which is weird. It wasn't shot on film, so I don't know why they (laughs) struck prints of it. But um, I watched it in 70mm, saw it opening night uh, with a friend of mine. And, like, I don't like to make noises or, like, if I'm not enjoying a movie, I don't want to show it in case – they're actually having a good time, so I don't want to ruin yeah. their good time. And there was a moment I could I can't remember the moment, but uh, my friend goes, "Oh wow!" laughs out loud. I was like, 
okay, good. It felt like the tension was broken. I was like, all right, free for all to totally like laugh at this shitty movie because <laughs> <laughs> I was like sitting here just taking it on the chin and I was like, oh, this is really bad. And then, and then, yeah, it, it became more enjoyable, but not the movie didn't become more enjoyable. The experience just became more enjoyable. Uh, you saw this, right, Eric? I know you've been quiet. I, I did. I saw it with Octay, um, but I got to start out by saying, so what Ryan is saying is he's a way kinder, more understanding person to those around him, as opposed to me. When Ryan saw Equalizer with me, I think I ruined that <laughs> movie for anybody that was around me. <laughs> well, that that actually helped, too, because I I was not trying to show that. And then there was, you had your moment of equal. And I was like, OK, good. now we're on the oh, same page and we can laugh at this movie. Um, uh, and I remember both of us, you and uh, me and you, Eric, like really just making fun of furious seven up to a oh, point where God, people yes. started like turning and looking at us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Cause I was slapping my damn forehead the whole time. Yeah. Oh man. Um, good times. Um, anyway, this movie Kong skull Island. Yeah. It's pretty forgettable. I think you guys pretty much nailed all the, the many problems. It's like a, it's a pretty schlocky movie and um, I feel like it's a shame, but I guess, because I do like Jordan Vote Roberts, um, he made a short film uh, that was on the internet. Uh, it was like a half an hour long. I can't think of the title, but it was very good. And um, then Kings of Summer was a really good feature. I really liked that movie. I think it's a, a kind of underseen gem that people should seek mm. out. Mm -hmm. um, so I know he's capable of making good movies. I just, I guess, I'm going to look at this as hopefully a smart chess move for him as a career you know like mm. and the movie did well enough from what i remember it did i think ryan's right the worldwide was strong enough on this movie that it made money for everybody and he delivered i guess so i hope this leads to him getting to do something cool because he is a cool personality like ryan says like uh on twitter man like he is really vocal about the right kind of the stuff we care about so he knows his shit that's what's kind of surprising of how schlocky this movie is but I guess not everybody can just jump into this giant studio world and like you're just going to be you're going to have to, um, you know, probably make a ton of compromises is my guess. But um, yeah, really forgettable movie. Pretty, pretty laughable overall, for, for sure. sure. I think some of the schlock is actually intentional. I just don't think it lands. Uh, I, right. should, no. I should be quick to point out. It should have been more straight faced with that kind of genre they were going for, or go, or, or, go or make, or make it more self aware. Yes, you know? yeah, absolutely. It's it's got that one foot in each camp, and it doesn't quite know yeah, yeah. which one it wants to be. So, yeah. Eric, moving on to you, we're on to the number yes. twos. The number two, uh, oh boy, uh, my last movie, it I had said was so repetitious and monotonous and boring, <laughs> but nothing, nothing. It has it does not hold a candle to. The 100th movie by Takashi Miike, a Japanese kind of, I guess, exploitation uh, filmmaker, modern day. Uh, his movie Blade of the Immortal was easily one of the most dull, um, kind of just frustrating experiences. Uh, I saw it in a packed theater at uh, a great theater in the city in Portland where I live, where it's the perfect audience for it, perfect place to see it. Um, it definitely had been hyped up and was like really well reviewed. Um, a big reason why it went so high up in my overrated list is I was like, wow, this had like 90 plus uh, like on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. It had a high rating, not quite that. But I was like, OK, so I feel like people are giving this movie a pass. If I'm going to speculate and do that thing, it felt like a pass was there because it is kind of fun, I guess, if you just give yourself over to what it is, which is like the most monotonous video game structure I've seen in a movie 
I can't even place since when, just a very long time. And um, that structure, like, while well, Mike... Video game structures have, like, you go from one boss to the higher boss to the higher. This one is just, like, the same level over yeah. and over again until you get to the big boss at the very, very end. Yeah, yeah. it, like, never moves forward. It's moving side yeah. to side to side, and then it, like, leaps forward to the end. But the end needed to be amazing in the way that, I will admit, some Takashi Mike movies... 13 Assassins. 13 Assassins is a yeah. one of his best movies, I think. And Audition, in a different way, has an amazing buildup to an amazing climax. Mm -hmm. Even the Dead Alive movies, which are pretty bad, the first Dead Alive movie has the most batshit gonzo ending I, like ever. It's the kind of shit that people love about this filmmaker. He's sort of like, uh, in nerd circles, like Quentin Tarantino worships this guy, Eli Roth and these horror filmmakers. They love Mike. Um do not see this movie. Octa already said it. 13 Assassins is the movie yep. of his. Yep. See, yeah. It's a great samurai movie. And I think it might be on Netflix still. Watch that. I, I didn't get the hype for this movie. I was yeah. bored, bored to tears. So uh, so Chambara is a, a samurai genre where it's just like very exploitation. You know, Chambara is basically like in Japanese, I think it's just like the sound the swords make when they clash against each other so it's just they're basically they're known as like literally as like click clang movies um and they're 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 usually structured just like this it's like a badass samurai ronin on his own like battling one adversary after the other lone wolf and cub movies that were just recently yeah. last year released by criterion that's perfect examples of chambara super over the top gory um creative in its gore too and all that stuff and also um there should be a law that says chambara movies cannot be longer than 80 minutes Agreed. because those mm. movies are meant to be like you get in get out just episodic you know see this guy like mow through a uh, hundred different samurai and limbs flying everywhere and then but once it passes that 80 minute mark it really starts to test your patience and another thing i want to bring up uh real quick is that this movie is about it like the same trope of the badass samurai against the world uh but the samurai has this magical thing where he cannot die uh so basically every single battle that he gets into he technically loses <laughs> so he's not really a hero he loses the battle and then because he cannot die he like takes the sword out of his gut or whatever and that kills the other guy like that's kind of fucked up he's cheating so it's like <laughs> you can't really get behind the hero either and it was just dull and repetitive and um meh is basically my it's, would be my reaction it's like uh, the lead character in this movie uses that contra code on nintendo he does yeah. the up up down down <laughs> uh, it's, it's a video game it, movie with it, like it, a straight up cheat code and like a god mode yep. like, it's his <laughs> it's his mortal combat he fights yeah. one person who looks like Raiden and one person who looks like Katana yeah. it's like exactly <laughs> Mortal Kombat and that bloody too it's yeah it's a bore man like there's not much I, I could say about it and I can't believe that I'm gonna have to unfortunately shit on the art house Japanese movie and praise like the comic book movie but like just watch Logan it's the same plot as Logan yeah. basically yeah, yeah. and Logan's a much better movie so yep. just watch it so um yeah, that's Blade of the Immortal. You don't need to see it because we did. I, <laughs> I also saw it at a packed house, Eric, here at the Grand Illusion in Seattle, oh. the U District. It's like a little tiny theater on the second floor, uh, really mm. charming, and it's um, a nonprofit, like cool little theater. Love going there. It's just, yeah, the movie was just kind of a bore. Um, <laughs> so uh, bad when that – I hate when that happens. It's a bummer. Uh, so, Octay, you're, you're number two. 
my, my number two is uh, Beauty and the Beast, and uh, I'm just going to say um, why. That's all that needs to be said with that, that that's, one. That's it. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, – you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I took it off my list because you had it, and I'm like, there's not much to say here. It's the animated movie, that, and it's bloated, longer, garish, and – Yeah, garish is a great word for it. It looks the, – the effects, the CGI in this, the, the design of the creatures. I know they were going for like some kind of steampunk look or whatever, but it's they were bad. like grotesque. They were off-putting. It's terrible, and the and then the non uh, special effects stuff, the like the stuff in Bell's village, looks like the fucking like Grease Live or like one of those NBC <laughs> terrible like. It's so bad. Like I I was I was shocked. Like I, I I figured the movie would at least be like forgettable, but oh oh boy, it's it's bad. And why? It's, it's like why why would you go like here's a movie with perfect pacing, uh great amount like the perfect amount of musical numbers the um colorful you know the original disney version colorful yep. lively uh let's take all that all those adjectives and just fucking dump them like just strip it from all of those qualities yeah and then and then let's add another 30 minutes for no fucking reason uh the the casting is super uninspired and yeah man this this movie i just could not see almost anything to like about it and i love the uh um the animated disney i do too. I, have a, I have a tattoo of the rose on my arm like i'd love oh nice <laughs> so like it's uh-huh. it's yeah i'm very protective about the animated but ryan movies. is personal uh, for me, <laughs> you it, fucked it, with it, my movie no no i mean it's it is personal we don't need to get into that here but it is personal so just like it's bad it's no need to see it eric you didn't see it right you're you were smart i I'm smart I did not. I will not. I fucking refuse. I like that animated movie, too. I have fond memories of seeing that movie in a theater, the original animated one, uh, with my mom and my sister. And I didn't get to go to a lot of movies with my mom and my sister, but nobody else in my family would go to see the shit they wanted to see. And I was like, what the hell? I'm going to do it. And I, ha- I remember really enjoying that movie. So I'll just keep that. That's yeah. my memory. Do just it. keep that memory. Uh, Don't touch it. And I'll also just depressingly note that this is by far the most popular movie of the year. Uh, of course, until... Star Wars Last Jedi opens here in a, in about a, oh, it's open now Tonight, as we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> It'll probably beat it this weekend basically, but um yeah, it all, up until basically end of this year Beauty and the Beast has been by far domestic and worldwide biggest gross and it's it's depressing uh in a time where Disney has also been in the news because they purchased Fox. So it's like mm. this is what we're getting more of folks, but you know what? I have the choice. I didn't see it. I'm not going to see it. I'll live. You will. I watched er- 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 Eric Smart, Ryan and Octave. Dumb. I watched it on a plane. That's where I like I was just oh, like good, good. you could watch just about anything on a plane and you could excuse yep. it and be like I get distracted so I'm going to watch the terrible movie instead. And that's what yeah. happened. Um, so, so, my, so Ryan, what's your uh, what's your number two? Oh boy, uh, my number two is Baby Driver, uh, a movie that uh, unfortunate, like it's unfortunate that I have to say that um, because the three of us got to got to watch this movie together. Um, yeah. something that doesn't happen that often since I live in a different city. But um, yeah, man, I it, it's supremely well directed. It's supremely well edited. Edgar Wright knows what he's doing. He's a phenomenal filmmaker. Easily his worst script. Like, mm-hmm. I, I found, outside of how well the movie was made, I found nothing really in the story to really engage me. Like, it, it's a very generic, one last 
plot or one last plot excuse me one last job storyline like that's that's mm-hmm. basically the movie it's a very generic crime storyline with this like fable love story in the middle that's not really that convincing and we spend a lot of time developing i say that in air quotes that relationship <laughs> and, and, it, and it just doesn't go anywhere and it just feels so like it feels damsel and distressly it feels i hate to use this word it feels dated like it feels like an outdated <laughs> concept for a movie and mm-hmm. and just yeah, people went ape shit for the movie. Like it, I'm so happy this movie was a box office success. I couldn't be mm-hmm. happier. I'm glad that Edgar Wright still gets to make Edgar Wrighty movies. It's one of those movies that you could say it's style over substance, but oh my, what style! And it <laughs> like that. That's how the movie played for me. Like the style is so good that I and it's and it is an entertaining crowd pleaser. I'd recommend it to anybody. I just think, despite the fact that it grossed more than all four of his other movies combined, um, which that, that's kind of a tragedy for me. Well, it's uh, yes. especially it, yeah. especially compared to Hot Fuzz. If you're gonna or compare it to another like, action movie, I think action comedy. I think Scott Pilgrim versus the World is a much yeah. much better movie than this, and that yeah. was his like yeah, yeah. studio like it's more unique, original and unique, way at unique. And, like and so like I've still never seen like that is to me like one of the best comic book movies. Like it is so yeah. inventive and and fascinating, and the characters are great and they have real motivation. And it just this movie it felt like, and I found out he had the script for a long time. He maybe even wrote it before his other movies and it, it feels like that it feels very much yeah. like a young man feels like a first script it yeah. does exactly and yeah. and you know it gets us again it gets sort of a pass because the movie's so well made uh the, and the, the music I, choices yeah. uh, unlike other movies music choices incredible in this movie and not the <laughs> yeah ones i would, would say think. i would say the best soundtrack album of the year really even though the movie is not uh as great um yeah, but but yeah, I, mean, the, I think the major problem with this movie that I found because it's it's trying to get into this like, um, also like this like seventies car chase like over the top go for broke car chase movies. You know, you go from Gone in sixty seconds to stuff like even Blues Brothers or something like that. And um, but those movies just like increase in intensity up until you get a final third act giant set piece that's like a showstopper and the problem with this movie is that it's you know like the movies like this is like okay the you make the like people make the roller coaster analogy where it's like but the roller coaster is supposed to go from uh the as far as attention goes from the bottom to the very top and then you get this big drop and what this movie kind of does is that it starts at the top and then gradually goes all the way to the bottom where <laughs> the last 20 30 minutes are like really like the last it's it's almost like memento style <laughs> movie structuring like the third act of the movie that excitement that like action and all that stuff is the first 30 minutes and what's supposed to be the first act of the movie is just like patient character building and not much happening is in the last 30 minutes yeah so it's, it's like a really unevenly written script it's um, top heavy uh, to- it's it's very top heavy yeah. uh, and yeah. that's part of the problem because I was just like really into this movie I love the way. <clears throat> The uh, action scenes are edited to music. The practical uh, effects, the practical, like the stunts are amazing. The driving stunts and all that stuff and the way they're edited and all of that are great. But uh, the story that surrounds it, yeah, it's it's just so like, it kind of, this is a movie that starts with a bang and just like slowly fizzles out, which is like the worst possible pacing and structure you could have for a movie like this. So that's a big I, you know, it's like as far as I like, I watched it twice and I enjoyed it 
immensely both times, but I enjoyed the first 45 minutes and 50 minutes immensely, and then I kind of check out. And yeah. uh, and also, I got to add that, uh, okay, fine, Ansel Elgort's best performance, but what the fuck does that mean? I mean, the, yeah. guy's, like, the yeah. guy's a charisma black hole. Like, he, <laughs> is, he is like the actor equivalent of just a block of tofu. Oh, um, snap. So yeah, I don't know, man. I don't. I don't get why this dude is um, is so popular. He's a you, terrible actor. You know what else too is a shame is um, I, I, I would. I'm with you. I think it's his, the best thing I've seen that actor do. Um, but it's still like, yeah, he he's fine. He's serviceable. But that character needs to be so charismatic that you actually buy the bullshit climax this movie serves up to you oh, as an audience. Dude, that's the and, thing, <laughs> right? There, that's a big betrayal. But even even unfortunately, before that. The action climax of this movie where it becomes like, God, like a shitty slasher movie where uh, one of the an actor I really like from a famous TV show that's now done becomes like a fucking slasher. And it's so out of left field. Sure, Mm -hmm. it's built up, but in a way that there's such a gap from point A to point like D where he ends up at the end where I was like, what the fuck is going on here? This movie is too. And when Edgar Wright misses for me as like, I I like this movie overall too. And I'm glad it's successful too. I think we all agree. We do like this filmmaker, but this movie misses the mark in a lot of ways for me because of like, um, decision. Like he needs to, he's all about tone as a filmmaker because he jumps all over the place. And Scott Pilgrim is a great example, Ryan. I'm glad you brought it up because that movie is so, energetic and just brimming with creativity where I only got that in like 10 minute hits in this movie. And then there's occasional sweet scenes with this, um, this caretaker that, uh, Ansel Elgort like lives with this blind Mm, man lives with in the movie. I loved that relationship and it's a very warm human thing. It's another reminder of the other like seasoning Edgar Wright gives you. And when, when he's working, when he's working well, but, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of like this movie was forgiven a lot, I think, by an audience that was taken for the ride. And I'm glad they went for it because this director deserved a hit. But fuck, I wish some of the other ones were bigger hits too. go. If you have if you've only discovered this director and you're listening to this episode, uh, if you only just yeah, go watch his other stuff, watch the other shit. Start at Spaced when he did TV and work your way through. Oh, yeah. You yeah. have so much fun. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you nailed it too. the climax of this movie. I was like, there was a point. Uh, after the foot chase um, set to Hocus Pocus by Focus, which is admittedly a really cool scene. But like yeah. anything after that, there was a point like you can the pretty much moment, turn it off. After dude, that. I was like there was I was like enough. Like I, I might have even uttered. I'm not even sure. But I was just like enough. Like I was I was worn out by this movie and I was just like just slow down. And it, it just yeah, it didn't it, 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 it totally missed the mark for me, especially in the back half. But there's. A lot to appreciate, but I also, like you said, Eric, people gave this movie a huge pass. I'm fine with that. It's it's at least, like, I've seen people give pass to much worse movies, so <laughs> if that's the case, so be it. It just it just kind of missed for, for, it sounds like all of us here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on. Okay. Let's get the number ones. Number ones. Eric. Drum roll. My number one is um, <clears throat> Sofia Coppola's summer release i almost forgot about this movie you guys um sofia coppola's summer release the beguiled well in all my travels i've never come across such a delicate beauty as yours tell me something will you miss Morrow? it's okay if you could have anything what's your biggest wish if you could have anything in the world what would it be 
So because I almost literally just remembered this movie came out like a week ago, it became instantly my number one overrated movie because overall, pretty strong reviews. You'll see some dissenting voices out there, but overall strong reviews, uh, a premiere at the Cannes Film Festival in competition where she won Best Fucking Director for some reason. I'm sorry. I, I like this filmmaker. I think Sofia Coppola hit or miss for me, but she's made some great movies in my opinion. But why this is the movie she wins an award for directing at a major film festival beyond me. Um, and also I, with the main thing, the main takeaway for this movie is I feel like it's, it's, um, it's construct. I think it's well cast and I think it's well acted and it looks beautiful. But I think other than that, Sofia Coppola constructs it with like, there's no blood pumping through this movie's veins. It's dead. It's, it's like, mm -hmm. and I think there's a, there's an, that's a kind of, um, and a, there's a nicer way to say that that is sort of like, well, that's kind of what Sofia Coppola does. It's a moodiness thing, a, a calmness, a patience. But for the, and I, as I've said, I kind of can get into that mood with her sometimes. This movie, I just felt like, um, even without the hype of it, it wasn't a hype issue for me, like a response to feeling like people liked it too much. It's more like the biggest example, because I've said this already, of like, what's the big deal with this movie? The, any chances for this movie to become like... Um, like full of tension, she just is not interested in. And it's baffling to me why you make, why certain scenes are still in this movie and where it climaxes. Why does that happen if you don't care about building tension in the story? And um, that's weird. And I've yet to actually catch up. There's a, what, like 1971 Don Siegel version with Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. I, I, Octay, I think you have seen it, and you, you yeah. So, so let, that let one's me, more pulpy, me, right? Yeah, Just yeah. I'll finish. But let me that jump one's... in there because it's not really pulpy. It's a disturbing, dark. It's a uh, gothic kind of southern, horror movie. Southern gothic horror movie, and okay. it is. We're, we're in the Twilight Zone right now, basically, because the the ver there are two versions of the Beguiled, right? Uh, the one I know where that, this is going. <laughs> yeah, the the one that fits the uh, the kind of more feminist Me Too movement. Uh, of like, you know, these women basically feeling trapped by this like abusive, uh, manipulative liar, like piece of shit dude. Um, and like, you know, who's who really like terrorizing them pretty much. And uh, and also, but the female characters also like are not really, you know, it's it's a pretty like equal opportunity. Like everybody's kind of a dickbag uh, version, but it has a very like kind of, a pretty feminist stance and also you have like um commentary on slavery at the time and uh, why the civil war was happening and all that stuff so there's that one version and then there's the other version which is basically the movie equivalent of like bitches be crazy right uh so which one do you think is the one made by men <laughs> like it's, it's it's insane like i was just like watching this movie and i was just like so colin farrell's character is like you're totally supposed to be pretty much on his side right now. Like in the Don Siegel version, there's there are these like great sequences where the Clint Eastwood character is like telling these like stories of bravery and all that stuff, and that's intercut with uh, quick scenes of him basically doing the exact opposite of what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. So he's basically like a deserter. He causes his men to be killed. He's the one who comes on to all these women most of the time instead of like in the Sofia Coppola version where the the women are like. They go dick crazy. Like the second they, can't they even see wait. this guy, yeah, they can't even wait to fuck him. I mean, it's like, it looks like the Sofia Coppola version was made by this like old Hollywood, like exactly what you would imagine like a Don Siegel Clint Eastwood movie to be, uh, like old Hollywood like 
greasy, grimy, like, yeah, yeah, we're going to like, you know, he's going to fuck all these women. <laughs> uh, but he's going to be the hero. Um, and then the 1971 version is the one that people should watch today, I feel like. <laughs> so it's, 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 this is crazy to me that this, that Sofia Coppola is the one who made the more like politically or sociopolitically regressive version over the Clint Eastwood version. Like that's, that's insane. Uh, anyway, Ryan, did you see this? Yeah, I've seen both versions of the beguiled and, um, I I like the Sophia Coppola one. <laughs> I like it as like arty trash, to be honest. I think I do okay, think the movie okay. gets a little too much credit as being like a true Sophia. I mean, it's a it's a Sophia Coppola movie in its in its DNA. Like, there's no denying that. But I think the movie gothic horror. You think Sophia Coppola? What? You think gothic horror? You think Sophia Coppola? No, but like what I'm saying is like this movie gets it's being received on a level of which like her other movies have been received. And mm. on that note, on that level, potentially a little overrated. I've seen the movie twice now. And I think it, it yes, that it, on that level it is, but I found this to be like interesting art house trash because it is so quick. Like the second, yeah, everything you said is right. The second Colin Farrell's character comes up, they <laughs> are for lack of a better term, wet like they're just like they cannot they like but like you 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 get that see like i i found these movies like i think they're a good double feature and i think they're a good pairing from both the male and the female perspective because you see everything from clint eastwood's perspective in the original and as octay octay already mentioned my point i was going to say those intercutting scenes of him being a deserter like he's a scumbag and we know he's a scumbag from the beginning and he sees these these women like we see it through his perspective so there are kind of kind of evil kind of uh you know whatever and then uh in this one it's like pretty much from the female perspective where we don't know at that point if you hadn't seen the don siegel one you'd be like well okay i don't know about colin farrell's character but um you would know that he you wouldn't know if he was a scumbag or not so i guess with that context you're like okay he kind of is i see where this goes at the end and why it does um but I just I, – I enjoyed it. I found it to be, like, really, like, humorous at times, too. Like, kind of how ridiculously, like, over-sexualized it was, without, but without being, like, overt about – I mean, it's 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 weirdly both an overtone and an undertone. Like, it's like nobody gets naked or does anything, like, crazy. It's not, like, an exploitation of that, but it's, like – but it's very much there. And so on that level – I enjoy the movie, but on a level of which the movie is being received by people, I totally, totally see where you're coming from. Yeah, I think my last real quick point would just be like, there's for me, the movies of hers that I like are the ones that feel like the perfect material for what she brings as a filmmaker to the to that. And in that case, something like Bling Ring, which is way more, at least on the surface, like shallow than this movie, The Beguiled but is a better fit. And in my opinion, a better film because it fits, it's like the perfect marriage of mm -hmm. content and form and all that. And lost in translation is still that great example, virgin suicides. But this felt like this needs to be made by a Don Siegel or who's a, a female filmmaker. That'll be willing and anyone just willing to like, I think it needed to be even more overt because even though you got those echoes of that art house trash, Ryan, I guess I wanted it to be more like, like Reffin, Nicholas. I was gonna, Reffin I was gonna say, <laughs> but he goes a little bit for. He's actually much more loose and kind of like over the top than Sofia Coppola. Sofia Coppola is like always buttoning. It's like repressed, repressed. Like, dude, let your freak 
flag fly a little bit in this movie, it would do you some good. And I needed a little like refin freak flag. Like he disappoints me too sometimes, but he would have fucking went for it or another, mm-hmm. you know, any, another filmmaker needed to be just ballsier. Uh, that's the way wrong term to use. Needed to be <laughs> the, another filmmaker just needed to be more brave with it to sort of take it to a place. Um, but I, yeah, th- this one is a, yeah, it's a puzzling one, but Ryan, you make really good points. I, I, I didn't think about it in the way you described it, but I think you're right. I still, I still just like, don't get this movie in so sure. many ways. And that's understand. Like I, yeah, I totally yeah. get it. Yeah. It's a very slow moving. Like it, the movie does move like molasses. Just like good thing. It's only like 90 minutes or 85 for, minutes. It's for, short. It's really short because yeah. it feels long for sure. Um, <clears throat> well, Moving to Octay, I think we're gonna have a lot to say about this one. Uh, which is... <laughs> yeah. So uh, my my number one is uh, uh, Eric's number four, which is M Night Shyamalan Split. You don't like it? It's it's not new. No, no. I'm just uh, I'm I'm confused. You said it was near a window. Oh, that's here. <laughs> You know, I'm going to kind of shit on the, the Slash Filmcast guys a little bit right now because, the um, you know, this movie got really good reactions and people were like, Shyamalan, back in form and all that crap. Uh, but then, I yeah, I listened to their review of Split and these guys were just like gushing over how much the uh, the twist ending, like, Especially Jeff Kanata, like yeah, man, like for this, yeah, yeah, they went ape shit for it, and how how much it like rewrites the norms of cinematic storytelling, (laughs) and it's like a cinematic magic trick, and oh my god, I got up and like I clapped for five minutes and all that crap, and then you watch it, and it's it's boring looking Bruce Willis on a at a coffee counter. That's the ending. Uh, I mean, I understand the implication of like holy shit this took place in the universe of unbreakable but that's literally the last 20 seconds of the movie everything before that is this really like gaudy stupid over the top um super offensive to any kind of person who's dealing with any kind of mental illness issues like let's even drop that side of it you know that's a whole other thing but like uh yeah just about like insanely stupid decisions that are made by the the girl characters uh and like uh the james mcavoy basically using this as a opportunity to turn into kind of like a one of those like one-man sketch shows where uh you know there was this one guy named frank caliando he had a tv show where he would do like imp- like 50 impressions in like one episode it kind of felt like that in a lot of times yeah um and then it just goes to like these ridiculous places of like him sh- straight up shape shifting, and then um, and then and I think that like the, the whole unbreakable connection it feels to me like it was a last second decision by Shyamalan to basically um, come up with some kind of explanation for why this movie is like so ridiculous. Um, and uh, yeah, the. Uh, every like a lot of stuff there's some like interesting captivating stuff stuff here and there which basically exists in pretty much every even the shittiest Shyamalan movie there's some spark of creativity so he doesn't get extra points for that but I looked at this as just as this was just to me just as bad and bafflingly like badly written characters make stupid decisions uh you can't like relate to anybody there's like this 
totally superfluous um, introduction of like themes of child sex abuse with the flashbacks that really don't go anywhere. Uh, this was a mess. And just because it has bored looking Bruce Willis in the last 10 seconds of the movie. <laughs> Does not make this a masterpiece. I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, that's those are my thoughts about it. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Eric. Well, I, I'll jump in. I'm sorry. Yeah, because it is on my list. I was just a la- loving everything Octa was saying. Um, I don't. I don't dislike this movie as much as you, Octa. I will say that. Um, I will say the fact that the last 20 seconds, as you've noted, is the thing that everybody lost their shit over, says a lot. Because, okay. I think Unbreakable is still Shyamalan's probably best film. It's either that or Sixth Sense, you know? I, like a lot of people in our sort of geek movie community, have wanted a sequel for Unbreakable. That, on paper, is really cool. But the movie that I saw before those last 20 seconds, which are directed and shot and definitely acted by a very bored-looking Bruce Willis, they were done with all the effort and creativity of a first-take rehearsal. Yeah. But it's it's like, okay, he said Mr. Glass, I'm now I care. And like the way it's acted, it's it's actually is in keeping with the earlier parts of the movie. I guess some of the things I'll say that I find interesting enough to kind of like at times in this movie. First off, I think James McAvoy is having a good time and camping it up in a good way, I think for the most part. I think he kind of works. Um but this movie introduces really kind of odd out of nowhere subplots like uh, the psychologist therapist character that he goes to see. And I think in hindsight, that stuff, I feel like that was inserted or was there and actually helps gel it a slightly better to the unbreakable world in hindsight, where there's this idea of like Bruce Willis's character. And that was like this heightened human like he had these abilities he had supernatural powers so it's almost like sure it's i'm not giving split a pass but it allows for what james mcavoy can physically alter and do at the end of the movie this is like what she's taught the therapist talks about in split of like what if it's so terrible it's so ham-fisted like what if we i just remember her speechifying about like superpowers basically and since i already knew the twist when i caught up with this movie that might have affected part of my viewing of it, but just in all honesty, that that, that finale for being the thing that everybody went crazy about um, was really lackluster and sort of laughable to movie to end on on that note. And overall, I think this movie has some good moments. I think the stuff that you are referring to, Octa, in terms of um, Anna Taylor Joy's character has the mm-hmm. subplot or flashbacks where she was abused by her uncle. I think that's a setup for part three where she's going to be another superhero character, I think. And I think Sam Jackson's going to be back. I think we're going to get what could potentially be an awesome part three, but how does Shyamalan do that now? Does he, does he try to forget, does he try to trick you again into watching a movie you don't know is unbreakable world or does he have no, no, part... I mean, the new, the new movie is clearly right? called glass and they have, you know, like there's, oh, he's not doing that in the next okay. one. Yeah, he's not doing that on the next one. Uh, it's clearly a sequel, which, okay. I'm, as much as I dislike Split, I'm actually looking forward to that because that's going to have like a direct approach to the material instead of just like a tacked on last 20 second kind of thing. But uh, yeah, Ryan, what's your what, what are your thoughts on it? Um, just real quick diversion, but well, not not a diversion necessarily. But before I I get into my thoughts, I'm totally the Anya Taylor Joy thing. I, 
in movies like this, I I absolutely hate when that's used as a sub like plot device. Like her character's dad died, and so like narratively sensed, it's like, oh, you've been broken too. Like parent yeah. dying is enough. Like, come on, do we need like Uncle Diddles too? Like that doesn't like, yeah. like <laughs> it doesn't like Good like do you point, remember that sh- do you Good remember point. that shitty movie, The Butterfly Effect? Yes. That, that was a like plot thread in that movie too, and I was yes. just like immediately like tuned out. Like it, it didn't need it, don't need that. But obvious manipulation like yes. that it's it's kind of laughable yeah it's in a cheap simple genre movie like that you have to have because it's it's every genre movie that uses that as a trope or as a motivation it's exploitation exploitation basically and if yes. you're going to exploit that it's a very serious matter in the real world you have to have a much better reason much better writing to support it agreed and that but that being said i legitimately liked the first hour of this movie Um, I'll just flat out say that I like the first hour of this movie. I think it's set up really well. In addition to a lot of his movies in between, let's say unbreakable and this, uh, not only, or just like bad, but like, especially like the visit, which is like kind of an embarrassment to be honest. Like, uh, like, like it's, it's just like a, a very quick, easy, uh, found footage like it looks terrible and all this stuff like i i forget the name of the dp but it's the guy who shot dogtooth was the dp on this movie and there's some oh, yeah. really good like creative shots of the hallway and some like really like good imagery and good shots and i i'm with you on james mcavoy i think anya taylor joy is pretty great in this movie too i think she she is solid um and it was building it kept a really balanced tone at the start for me like it was pretty balanced between being this mystery being this intriguing horror movie and being goofy and it wasn't afraid to be goofy either and i thought it balanced it really well and my and then the biggest problem is the movie as it continues tries to the it tries to take itself more seriously as it progresses and the events that happen get progressively dumber as well and so the tone just like completely gets knocked off balance like for example, I mean, you mentioned the Slash film cast. I was in the same theater as Dave Chen, and he talked on that episode about how there's that overhead shot of, like, when he becomes the beast and he runs. Like, the audience laughed. Like, the audience laughed, <laughs> and I don't think that was intended to be funny. Like, nope. people – like, it, it's it's goofy and out of place, and it just – it just becomes – like. Shyamalan can't help himself. He shoots himself in the foot. It's like – I was like, oh, man, is he going to pull it off? Is he going to – is he bad? Oh, and it was just like letting the air out of the balloon <laughs> sort of thing. I was like, oh, there, whoop, there it is. Just can't help himself. <laughs> so um, I, I maybe like I, I thought uh, and compared to other people, I thought I was much cooler on the movie. It sounds like he, I was even warmer on it than you guys were. But it just yeah, it just shoot. Yeah, he just shoots himself in the foot. Yeah, and the, he the, the idea himself. of like he never I don't think he ever uses a weapon on the girls and the girls just like cannot like it's in the when they're like trapped and he walks in as a woman and I know that it's like shocking or whatever, but there's three of them. There's one of the other guy. He doesn't have a weapon. Like what? it's just, they're like, it's the kind of thing that we always talk about. Like the kind of writing in these movies where characters make the absolute dumbest decisions. Uh, so you get to a point where you just like, can't wait for them to die. Um, yeah. and I had that, I had that like bad slasher movie writing issue with this movie as well. And there, there was like, Pretty much every single the other two girl characters, especially every single step of the way, they make the the absolute worst decision. Um, there's this like really 
cheesy joke in like the first scary movie where like Carmen Electra is running away from the killer and there's a, a fork in the road that says like certain death and then like <laughs> survival or whatever and then she just takes a certain death route like it just it feels to me like that's what most of the characters decisions are like in this movie and that just drove me nuts I, yeah I think and maybe we talked about this off mic I don't remember if it was Eric you said it or whatever but uh, I think people are just ready to bring Shyamalan back like they're ready to unlock that director's mm-hmm. jail and like bring him back like people people were kind of not as much for split but like people were into the visit too which I thought was yep. bad like I just thought that I was like split bad... better than the visit for sure big I'll time say that. Yeah, yeah no I agree yeah. so I'm with you. I understand <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, Ryan. Let's uh, let's move on uh, to your number one. Oh, this is gonna be a doozy. I'm almost not looking forward yep. to this. Strap uh, in, yep. people. Oh boy, my number one let's is. Let's do this. My number one is the Florida Project. It's only second week of the summer, and there's already been a dead fish in the pool. We were doing an experiment. We were trying to get it back alive. That wasn't my and, idea. And water balloons thrown at tourists. You can't fuck with tourists. They didn't tip us. And I'm so sorry. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I just, God, this movie like ruined my day when I saw this movie. Like, I, like, I, I can't. It believe... ruined my day too, but for a completely different reason. <laughs> I just couldn't. I can't believe like hearing that the movie isn't hearing that the movie is more than it was. I guess for me, like, I, I heard it's like, oh, it's not a total downer. Uh, it was pretty much a whole downer for me from beginning to end. And I think I just didn't – I found myself just at a distance through this movie. I, number one, I think the kids are obnoxious. And I, that's going to sound completely dismissive, and I'm so sorry. But it just – I they took me for, out of the movie almost immediately because we open on them. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I a couple years ago, Tangerine was on my overrated list. A movie I did like much better better than the florida project admittedly okay um yeah. because that movie like i remember eric you asked me you were like did you find it funny and i remember going no i i found a lot of the humor of that movie kind of grating but like i i was interested in the characters throughout of it out despite like the humor not landing for me and like it's the same in this one humor wise but like most of the humor is from the kids who are like just screeching it at the top of their lungs so that bothered me and secondly i just didn't feel like this movie to me i didn't think it had a point of view like it felt it didn't feel any different other than like the bright colors and like the moments where the characters are not in complete misery it didn't feel any different than watching like Alejandro and Yuritu's beautiful or something or like any of those other like kind of poverty porn movies like like I felt mm-hmm. this like I have been told like I've heard like it's not a poverty porn movie it it kind of is um and I guess I just felt like I was really sympathetic towards all the characters and the situation they were in but I just had a hard time getting into getting into these characters like i i just felt like this was not the type of movie i wanted to see like a slice of life docudrama version of like i Mm. I wanted to actually get invested and kind of understand the characters like i think there's interesting stuff here Uh, i will say william defoe is fan fucking tastic in this movie yeah no ifs ands or buts he's probably gonna win an oscar i'm all for that he is the absolute best thing about the movie and it looks gorgeous that's the other thing i have to say about the movie but the other characters, I just couldn't, like, 
again, I was really sympathetic, but it just it just progressively bummed me out to no end and to honestly no benefit. Like I couldn't I could not find a real reason. Like I would not recommend this movie to anybody. Like there's mm-hmm. I just couldn't I couldn't in good conscience do that. And and it's a shame. Like it it was our number three, I think, on the playlist top twenty five of the year. And it's not on this list for like I'm I don't want to sound like a contrarian. Like I was ready to like I wanted to like this movie, go into every movie wanting to like it. And it just like there's something about it that just kept me at a distance the entire time. Um so yeah, I know, I know Eric, I know you're a big fan of this movie. Octa, by your booze, you probably just you just saw the movie recently and I, I Yeah, I'm I just sure, saw it last night. Yeah, and I'm sure you really you really liked it, I'm gonna guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say that it also ruined my day, but mainly because I was, like, ugly crying at the end of it. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, it kind of, like, stuck with me during the entire night, and it kind of fucked up my night because I was just, like, so uh, kind of uh, shaken by it. Um, yeah, it, this is one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, God damn, I'm so sorry, you guys. <laughs> I'm not no, trying no, to I see Ryan. And, I think like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if Sean Baker, like, ran over your puppy or some shit. No, like that. I think he's, <laughs> I think he's, t- like, talented and he's telling, he's telling stories that need to be told. But, like, even to me, there was no moment. Like, in Tangerine, again, like, I, I at least, like, I understood the characters. Like, they're seeing the, the character who kept, um, touting her, uh, her, christmas show and then mm-hmm. like only a couple people come like that that stuck with me like in the two years since Char- i saw that movie have like, more characters have clearer goals and dreams in right. tangerine that's for sure but uh in the florida project i mean it makes sense that this doesn't have much of an arc or a the characters don't because you see everything from the perspective of the the kid right. uh, and so all these like kind of horrible um things that are actually happening around her like her mother's desperation and what she's doing and how she's reacting to other people and all that stuff you're seeing everything from her perspective and so the 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 editing of this movie i find to be quite brilliant in the way that it sparsely gives out exposition you know um as someone who reads scripts for a living i'm so sick of like every kind of screenwriter like writing uh this is how i feel and this is what's going on right now and uh (laughs) like the way that this movie gives out exposition like it doesn't open with like this movie takes place in florida at this motel right next to disney world like you gradually start figuring out the geography and where you are at and how isolated this place is and then you start to figure out like what this girl is going through and what her mother is going through and uh, pretty much why they act like this, even though I don't think the movie kind of condones it or um, uh, criticizes criticize it. It just, it just shows in a way that, like, yeah, these people exist. Totally. And uh, you get this kind of – the editing, like, gradually starts giving you information. Like, I love that, like, everything is told from the perspective of the child. So there's that – there's there are a lot of scenes where like while you're watching it you're like oh this is just another random scene where they're having fun or this is happening because this kid's life is completely unstructured and crazy it's like kind of like this feral child in the middle of this like uh this like disney world jungle off the edges um and uh so like there's the one scene where it's like they're having fun taking selfies with with their mother and then that like kind of <laughs> that turns out to be a horrible Plot yep. points. Uh, and then there's these scenes of like 
uh, there's a scenes of like me going like why does he keep cutting back to the girl playing in the, in the bathtub mm-hmm. yeah and then that pays off in a, in a really powerful way and like the way that the exposition is given like you're not given um clearly like what the adults are doing and how they're like like there's a there's like this really kind of like you said like this overwrought melodrama story happening uh, and if it was told from the perspective of the adults, and I, I do think it would have turned into like a miserablest yep. porn, like the uh, Inaritu films, but because it's told from the perspective of the children, and children are resilient in the way that like they will find joy and something to grip onto to to kind of uh, make things shinier and better in any kind of situation. And I think I think this really like digs into that. It really like like just digs into like like the idea of like this is like the last probably time the last time like this kid is going to be this innocent yeah uh as obnoxious and as much of a pain in the ass these kids are which i commend sean baker for that as well because you know he could have totally made this about like oh look at this cutesy little kid and isn't this sad that like her mother is poor and stuff and i think that's why it like moves away from that kind of miserablest misery porn comparison i think because the Mm -hmm. the characters Mm -hmm. are not shown as like cuddly um cute kind of street urchin kind of charles dickens version of like a poor family but they're assholes in many many ways and the girl Mm -hmm. picks up this behavior from her asshole mother and yes her, her mother we don't see where she got that from. We don't really find out about her situation because the girl probably doesn't know. The exactly. girl probably doesn't yes. know the details about like what happened to her father, what happened to like all these, um, what happened in her mother's life. All she knows is that they live in this, uh, in this motel. And it's like, because it's told from that perspective and it's about like the last kind of, the loss of innocence for this the girl. The loss of innocence, the last, by the moment, end of the movie, that's her art. She is moments, growing the, up the loss of bit. innocence. And, uh, as as dry and direct as this movie was, when those last two minutes of this movie hit, yeah. like I was, I was like sobbing in the theater. And it went from thirty five millimeter to clear iPhone footage. All of a sudden, you're in like this. Yeah, I mean, he probably, he probably. I don't even mean that as a knock. They had to sneak in cameras to yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's oh, exactly. Yeah. what I was gonna say. I think that's yep. exactly what happened. And it, it's, yeah, it's like it's that kind of what's that movie the whatever something of tomorrow. Of tomorrow. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. God, let's not bring that movie. In yeah, let's mix. not bring that up. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then like that last two minutes happen and it's just like this one, uh, kind of cheat almost that Sean Baker gave himself to give this, like, uh, the fantasy, the kid deserves it into the kid deserves that you deserve that last two minutes of this movie. You know, that's not how things are going to turn out. Um, but yeah, the way that it deals with like that kind of loss of innocence, um, and the way that it doles out exposition, like the same with Willem Dafoe's character, like you get mm-hmm. little tidbits about like how he has like kind of maybe destroyed, like there's no like he keeps he keeps going out of his way to like protect this child, and but there is no monologue, there's no single scene where it says like oh because of you know his child died when he was blah blah and then that caused the destruction of his marriage and that's why he thinks this kid looks like his dad like whatever like whatever motivations they could come up with it's not there it's just like generic 
It's just, it's just general. He's just a decent human being, and he wants to do the decent thing. And, and because the movie stays true to its perspective that you've talked about, and you've you know established that, the, true to that to that perspective, so it never cheats. Love, never about. cheats. Uh, yeah, it never it never cheats that. And yeah, the the characters are the kids are obnoxious, but I think that's that's totally by design. But I do also agree that like, if you have a visceral reaction towards how much how abrasive and how annoying these characters can be which I have to give, like, especially the mother character is really, really, like, and then, and then, like, you don't get into the groove of, like, how episodic this is because it's, it's from, it gets into the groove of, like, what these kids are going through. So it gets in, it's the, the structure of the movie also gets into the groove of um, the unstructured lives of these children. So it does have that, like, episodic, unstructured yeah. um, mm -hmm. progression. So if you're super annoyed by these characters and then that progression is just, like, annoys you like if you i would say if you rent it on like vod or something like that i would say after like 15 20 minutes if you're at that point like i would just turn it off well that was uh, i was actually glad that i saw it in the theater because it made me stick with the mm -hmm. movie i i'm not one of those people i usually finish movies that i start even if they're bad um but and this movie's not bad it just like it, but it would have been a tough you know a tough movie to watch and especially at home you'd be like oh i got dishes to do or i got this to do and so <laughs> you know so it's like yeah, I was stuck with it, and I get it's from the child perspective. Like that became very clear. It just again, it just didn't didn't do much for me in that regard. I did like it more when the two kids weren't allowed to hang out with each other anymore, mm, and it was yeah. just her and her mom. I got to settle into the movie a little bit more, but like there was a certain point in the movie where I'm like, this movie only ends one way for these characters, and it mm -hmm. ends in that exact way, and it's just like. It's like a slow moving train wreck, you know, like it's slow moving. Yeah, like but it, it's the, the way that it ends is incredibly subversive and creative for me. I mean, it, I it guess really I didn't, me. I did the, not the, the like last, the last, ending of this last movie. Two, 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 yeah, yeah, I, you know, yeah. that's makes sense. But, um, because <laughs> yeah, you hate children, but, um, jeez. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> but, but no, no, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a just a powerful, artful way of, describing that like all children are innocent and sure. almost mm. him saying this is the ending that these kids as as much of an asshole like this kid is this is the ending this innocence totally well, deserves, well sometimes not going yes. to sorry sometimes sometimes movies can give you the thing that someone deserves that life will not give them and yes this movie is a tough pill to swallow because this kid has zero chance essentially right there is not many good opportunities coming her way. This little girl who Ryan, I totally understand if the kids don't work for you. That's, that's the crux of the movie totally can understand. Yeah. How the, and I, I don't want to talk too long about it because I did love this movie. And also because I think Ryan's viewpoint right now is a more interesting one because this movie is overwhelmingly loved. I think it is going to be up for other Oscars too. And I think Willem's going to, I hope he wins too. I think Willem. I hope so. He's great. Um, in a naturalistic way. And um, so just really, I, I did love this movie. I can't wait to see the second time. And I think, um, honestly, um, the cinematography, it, it's shot on 35 millimeter. It's it's the DP is this um, this genius, this guy, Alexis Zabe. He's worked with Carlos Regattas. If you have never seen Silent Light or Post Tenebre Lux, I think is the title. Mm. These are kind of very um, challenging art, uh, art house heavy, like Mexican films. But this guy is a genius, this DP. And I think the Florida project is next to Blade Runner 2049 is the other most beautiful movie I think I've seen this year. So mm. um, just, just on a visual level. And I think 
Um, I think Sean Baker is a real, real talent. And I think mm-hmm. um, Tangerine, I think the movie he made before Tangerine Starlet is good. Mm-hmm. I think Tangerine's awesome. And then I think Florida Project's um, much better. I think it's a step up and it's like, wow, this guy continues to take like two steps up the ladder for me as a uh, as an audience member and just a fan of, of movies. So again, I, I feel like I'm already talking too much. This movie's beloved. I love it. But um, Ryan, I think you make a lot of really good points, man. So yeah, you know, and, and, just... and again, I have no nothing but uh, respect for the people who love it. It just uh, I think you said it in our email correspondence. Sean Baker just doesn't seem to be my bag as a filmmaker, even though I think yeah. he's talented, though. I think he's making movies that need and should get made. And I'm really appreciative that he that he has. And in both. I, I have a feeling that 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 eventually he's going to make a movie that you love and then. Me and Eric are going to end up hating it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be a fascinating turn of events. Hey, folks! Thank you for listening to part one of our year-end over/under movies episode. Be sure to tune into part two, where we discuss our most underrated films of 2017, films we believe are very much worthy of your time. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.